Welcome to the Loser Room, everybody. Dr. Joe here. We are continuing our conversation from last week with John David Johnson from West Virginia. Lots of good information in this episode. Thank you for listening. Let's get to it. Emily, do you have a question? I saw you. I actually was going to put Bradley on the spot because he's yes. really, really, really quiet. Do it. Bradley, ask a question. I am. I've been waiting. I've been listening, but uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. actually, I'm interested in uh, you talk about grasses and forages and things like that. You know, what are people using there? You know, in the Midwest, we tend to use uh, fescues and clovers, uh, maybe a little alfalfa, orchard grass, things like that. You know, what 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 sort of you know, is it the same? Is it different or what? What? Well, it's, what it's a little different. Yeah, I mean, y'all have probably more big blue stem and stuff like that. Some of the native grasses. Uh, would would y'all run those? And no, you know, not, not, not really. Not really. You know, some some do. I guess it depends on the year, uh, on the year. But that's maybe even more west of us into the Dakotas and. So we we're we're running states. similar then. Uh, we're more similar in that aspect than probably I would have thought. Uh, we're running a lot of horse fescue. Yep. We're trying to get away from the Kentucky 31. 30, you know, it has oh, to yeah. end the fight with the ergot alkaloid. that has a little bit of problems, but you can manage it. And, and it can be managed very well, and, and it can be managed. So the ones that are not getting away from that with the end of fight friendly fescue, we are working with to put that orchard grass in, to put bluegrass in, the clovers. You know, because the clovers will help break down that uh alkaloid there and and reduce the effects and also increase the nutrition i mean that that is one thing and i was kind of waiting you got around to um you know i figured we'd go to forages and maybe soils because a lot of people you know they i'm I'm a beef producer that's all i want to do grow beef yes you are a beef producer that's what you're selling but you're also a forage producer because of course of course you know, forage or feed is forage. So you, you need to take after uh, looking at the management plans of these forages. And then that goes back to the soils. So you're really a soil health production based uh, operation that increases forage growth, that increases beef growth. growth. Excuse me, I, I'm tongue tied today. It's, it's a pyramid and it all builds up from the soil to the forest to the cattle. And you know, I've been I've been resting on this. Uh, we have pasture sticks. I'm sure you have pasture sticks, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I, I keep one around until my little girl thinks of a sword and totes it off and goes hits trees <laughs> and and roughs it up so much you can't even use it anymore. Uh, you know, you measure your forage. You know, you always want to leave that two to three inch mark. You know, there, and then you you start measuring from there up to see how much forage you got. But we're we're tall fescue, we're orchard grass, bluegrass, ladina clover. Um, you know, I like to mix a little red clover in there. Uh, you know, most most people here, at least in the Midwest, don't know what Kentucky 31 is. Um, you know, most of us think in meadow fescues. What's what are some of the advantages of a Kentucky 31? Kentucky 31, it is in our area, is very vigorous. Okay, it grows well. It and and that's the reason why it grows well, because that endophyte in it is a fungus that gets in the leaf and especially in the seed head is concentrated. And that gives it that vigor. I mean, that extra growth, it helps protect it. And uh-huh. Kentucky 31 was kind of like the native fescue that they, they found. I want to say sure. they found it in 
around Macon, Georgia. I, want to see yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, uh, somewhere up in there. It's on every farm in West Virginia. And, really? And it grows very well, and it's very hard to kill. Uh, yeah. If you want to go with another type of fescue, you can get that done, but eventually it'll kind of creep back in on if you're not watching it very closely. It's that cool season grass, and we're really good with the cool seasons varieties up here uh, in our altitude and our weather. We're not so in, in uh, set up for warm season. Uh, for okay. Like the Bermudas, the Bahias. Now we do get some good crab grass. You know, it's not a grass, it's a weed, but I love it. It's a highly nutritious weed. In Missouri, a lot of their pastures are, are crabgrass and cows actually milking dairy cows do quite well on it. We yeah. we graze we graze quack grass up here in the Midwest. And all of, the crop farmers think that that's a weed, but actually it's pretty good nutrition for a, a cow on pasture. Well, it only depends on where it's growing, if it's a crop or a weed. Right. A corn plant in a soybean fills a weed. Exactly. Uh, but no, we we don't have is we do not have the availability that warm season. But what I'm looking at is introducing these warm season annuals. And uh, I was talking to Emily and she, she kind of spurred me thinking about the annuals. Uh, and she mentioned that, you know, because I've done some pearl millet trials, um, sorghum, you know, I'm going into some sorghum trials hopefully next year, uh, some Sudan grass, stuff like that. And getting that Sudan grass or that, uh, that pearl millet or, you know, any of these warm season annuals kind of put them into that grazing strategy with the cool season, yeah. cool season yeah. peaks. We cannot plant warm season annuals up here till May. You know, I'm from South Georgia in March, we're planting up here. It's May before you can get that 65 degrees and higher soil temperature that you need. Probably at about the same uh, situation that we are. You know, we've done some research out here where we've planted warm season uh, annuals. We BMR sort Sorghum sedan grass has worked quite well. We have used teff grass, maybe not quite as hardy, uh, but uh, sorghum sedan grass is wonderful. It, it grows uh, quite well. I, I'll recommend that one. And the sorghum sedan too uh, grass is, is a little bit better on drought than the pearl millet, uh, yeah. if you compare them to. Uh, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. People people use pearl pearl millet here because uh, you don't have to worry about prussic acid yes. uh, poisoning in it, uh, whereas the sorghum sedan grass you you do with. I don't worry about it because I think you can manage it right and it frosts and and deal with it. Uh, it it's not a problem. But uh, some people just don't want to have to think about it, so they plant millets or Japanese millet or pearl millet or something like that. And I got some guys even going with baleage systems, uh, rat bales with those those annuals too uh they've never had before of course it skyrockets your production but you have to wrap them here because we can't dry them down oh uh, i mean it's impossible to get it dried down to that dry hay stage that you know drop that respiration you know because what is it uh you want to get it under what 40 percent when is when respiration really stops in grass i, I think somewhere around there you know, to get that respiration stopped and actually dry physically, dried down, um, you know, it's almost impossible with our climate to do that with annuals, or we can do that with the tall fescue and the orchard grass and all that. Okay. These guys are starting to get these rat bales because we've had a lot of wet years, summers. So it kind of bit them, bit them, you know, trying to make hay when it's raining every day. But I'm, I'm not sold on the value of the rat bale as far as beef goes. Now that we might differ there. I think in, 
dairy operations, those baleage, you know, there is benefit there. But as far as a strictly beef operation, you don't see the economical benefit as much as you would in dairy. There is some benefit there, but economically, uh, you know, you can feed that dry, good quality hay and still get by, right. uh, you know, without the investment. And what I tell people, we have a lot of people make hay in Jackson County. And, I, you know, I might not say this on a podcast in Jackson County because I buy all my hay. So, you know, if you don't have 40 cows. The truth comes out. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll be honest with y'all. This is not going to affect my wallet. But if you have 40 cows, less than 40 cows, it's cheaper to buy your hay. Okay, as far as to get the equipment, maintain it, depreciation and everything else around here anyway. Now, so, so many people make hay here. I buy all my hay. And I think of it this way. For that fescue and orchard grass, it takes 12 pounds of P2O5 and 40 pounds of K2O to make one ton of hay. Yep. So that's what's in a ton of hay. I'm putting that out on my pasture from somebody else's field, and I'm getting half that cost back in fertilizer, the way I'm looking at it, because the cow's going to give you a dollar a day in manure. You know, I pick, I teach this in a lot of uh, soil sampling in, in, in management, grass management in high schools. I go in the FFA on usual years, not this year. Uh, I doubt I could even walk through the door this year. They wouldn't let me in. But uh, usually on a normal year, I do that. And I tell them boys, I said, well, when you go home, if your dad ever tells you BS ain't worth nothing, you tell him it's worth a dollar a day. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, one of them got a whooping. But, yeah. <laughs> but right. no, it, you know, those, those kids, they, they love that. And they take this information home and, and I can start to see, you know, producers starting to bell graze, you know, just where the younger kids are feeding hay. And they said, hey, I'd rather move that poly line and, you know, feed on the hilltop every year. I, I, I like to work with the youth, too, in these these topics. Well, I think we we don't talk about that enough in Minnesota. It seems like it seems like there's a lot of people that are so insistent on making their own their own forage, even if it, it makes zero economic sense. But I mean, yeah, buying your hay can be I, I know dairies that buy all their hay uh, and, and even, you know, milking 200 cows. So I think that you can do it. Now, there's a lot of different things you got to think about when you're buying hay. And I never buy hay without a test that shows me what I'm buying, right? And yes. that's probably where we need to get to on, on this this topic of buying hay is how, how do you know what to pay for it if you don't test it, first of all? Uh, and then, you know, to me, that's there's a lot of, I, I got to be careful. There's a lot of hay jockeys out there, though. You got to be careful what you're buying. There's a lot of people looking to move stuff that they can't move anywhere else. And they're looking for people that don't. Yeah know enough to test and then trying to unload stuff. And I, maybe Brad and, and, and you as well, John David can comment on testing hay and the importance of that uh, as you're moving forward and trying to buy hay for an entire production. I've been doing a lot of hay sampling uh, lately. And uh, here, I'll reach back here. You know, I, and it only takes a little bit. Uh, I, you know, sandwich bag full of hay is all you need. And what I use is I use a hay probe that goes down into the bale to the more to the center. And then I think the average is one, you know, sample one out of every hundred bales. Uh, so, but I usually, we don't have that many sitting around there. So I've actually do more than that. And I mean, I bought this one 
and this is probably closer to you than it is me. See, it's actually no. This gentleman uh, donated me this uh, uh, star quality sampler. They're actually a Canadian co uh, company, but uh, I've been using this one. It's got a, a metal tip, and it's got the uh, the drill bit side is you know like an octagon there, and that really helps. You know, versus some of these older ones I was using that has the round and then the slip and the teeth are. Let me take the cover off of it. The teeth are obviously, uh, you know, different too. So that that works a little. But getting a good hay sampler give you a good start. But you're looking for obviously nutrients. You're looking at that crude protein. You're looking at that TDN. Now you get into dairies. You're looking at MDF and and a lot of other more uh, nutrient levels too that you know beef guys might not take as seriously. As dairies, because dairies is going to affect your amount of milk uh, really quickly. Uh, most of my guys, the first two things they look at is crude protein and TDM. What you need to do is make sure you take the like the first cutting of the Smith Farm. That's one sample. The second cutting of the Smith Farm will be a separate sample. The Jones first cutting will be a separate sample. So stack your hay where you know where it's at is the best thing, and then sample, and then you're going to get the hay send it off. I think Skyview Labs is what our, our conservation uses. I like Dairy One. Uh, Dairy One's a really good lab, and I like to at least have the 30-hour test or up uh, for beef because that actually mimics how long it stays in the rumen of that animal. If you do the short test, it's a cheaper equation, uh, and you might be shortchanging yourself. You know, you're not going to get the, all the benefits of that nutrients in that hay. So I like that at least the 30 hour test on that. So uh, when you get it, you know, you look at the crude protein and TDN and you're gonna have to match that with your requirements. You know, you can find, I, there's probably 10 or 15 easy. You Google it, find the requirements. Okay, Alabama's got some I know. I got three books up there from college that has a different, but they're pretty close. So you're looking at the crude protein for beef guys anyway. As I say, dairy is going to get more in depth really quickly. And the, you look at the TDN, and that's the you know uh, you know levels and where they're at in their gestational cycle or their growth. So if you're in a low gestational cycle to mid gestation, eh, you can get by with a lower crude protein TDN. If you get in that last third trimester, where a lot of calf development is happening at that time, onto lactation and peak lactation, that is when you feed your best day, your, your, your crude protein could jump from a, you know, needing a 7.5 to an 8 to 10 to 11, depending on how much milk you're making on that beef cow. You need to really keep that in mind. And TDN, that's the good thing about a uh, hay sample, because you actually get the TDN. That irritates me that you go to a feed store and buy a bag of feed, and you look at it, you won't find a TDN. I think it should be required if anybody in regulation is listening to me right now, <laughs> push that. I would like to see TDN on a bag of feed because they can water it down with corn gluten really quickly and drop that TDN level. In, and it's more economical for them, but maybe a little less efficient for you. So I'd really like to, that, that lets you know exactly what you're working with. But TDN is your energy, total digestive nutrients. That's your energy. Most people supplement corn for that because it's the high, you know, really high, in, you know, in your protein. A lot of people go with soybean meal, corn gluten, you know, it's, it's all high in, in crude protein. So, you know, 
that's a lot of large supplements. But knowing what you need to feed can tell you if you need to supplement or not. So that's going to be, you know, if you don't, if you need to supplement, you don't, you're going to lose body condition scores on your cattle, which you're not going to breed back as well. If you overfeed, yeah, okay, you might stay the body condition score even go up, but you're wasting money where you could put it somewhere else. And it's easy for me to make a decision as an extension agent and tell you what to do. As a producer, it's going to come down to money. I mean, how much money do you have to spend and where? I mean, so you have to balance those out. And as a producer, I understand that. And I try to do that as an extension agent to give them options. The uh, hay sample is worth the money you put into it. Uh, every time. And I agree with that. And and they, you kind of touched on it briefly, but one of the big things that you have to worry about with hay is making sure you know where it is and that you have access to all your hay at all times. Because I always see, you know, guys that stack, they'll make their own hay and they'll stack it, you know, back to front in the in the shed. And all of a sudden you're looking at, well, you're feeding your best hay, you're feeding your late cuttings when you don't need that energy, you don't need that, that crude protein on the beef side. And then when you do need it and you're in late gestation, early lactation on the beef side, you're feeding your wor- your first cutting, you know, you're feeding your worst quality hay. So being able to stack everything, put everything where you can get to it at all times, test it all. So you know where you're at and you can match that quality to where, you know, like John David was saying, where you are in, in your gestation. And that that's huge. And and I will advocate for that test every time you should be testing everything. And it becomes even more important when you're buying all your hay. Emily, do we have anything else we want to talk about? We might have to do another West Virginia, Minnesota episode at some point, if you're willing to come back on. Yeah. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. And I, I they pick at me, you know, I'm kind of old school. You give me an overhead projector, one PowerPoint and a hand or a you know, a, a visual aid, I can give you a three hour lecture on it. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. we, I'm old school extension, but uh, try not to ramble too much and get, get it. It's hard to get all the points that you want to get in one session, you know, across because there's always 10,000 things to talk about. Well, I think that's wow. kind of where we're all at. You know, it, it's good to see extension is pretty much conserved across the, the country. Everyone's excited about their topic. Everyone gets really excited about wanting to educate and make sure that they do get those points out there and that they're they're hitting those high notes when we're when we're talking to people so you're not alone we're all I think we're all in the same boat there I know Bradley could talk for four or five hours six hours at a time if you get him on the right topic and exactly watch out and Emily yeah we all know Emily can talk just fine so Uh, yes Yes. Well, John David, we'll have to have you back and you can tell us about your adventures in nut judging, which is probably my favorite thing that you did. Oh, yeah. All right. We haven't, we haven't talked about a judging episode. That'd be kind well, of fun. We could do a judging no? episode and you guys are going to have to run it because I know nothing. I know absolutely zero. <laughs> Neither do I. Well, I was a judge this morning. We had the first uh, festival today. The next oh, you did over. it this morning. I did it this morning and I was the nut judge. Isn't it funny how you find those little niches and extension you never thought you'd have? Like, I'm the walnut judge guy. I don't know. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely part of the job. I think it's what keeps us uh, from getting too bored. We all get these little offshoots that we get we get thrown into and and it ends up being a really good time. All right. Well, let's wrap it there. We'll. uh, This might get split into two episodes. I don't know. We've been recording for a while, but we'll. Yeah, uh, this was a meaty beast here. Well, we'll uh, we'll 
we'll either split it into two or do one big long episode and and we'll for sure have john david back thank you for being on if you have questions comments scathing rebuttals please send them to the moose room at umn.edu that's t-h-e-m-o-o-s-r-o-o-m at umn.edu please check out our website extension.umn.edu and if you have other questions you want to learn about the other things that we're talking about head over to the west virginia extension website they've got a ton of resources on there you can read all about their bull tests and everything else they're doing Check us out on Facebook at UMN Beef and at UMN Dairy. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you again to John David, and we will catch you next week. See ya. Bye. I tried to move wow. my chair on carpet and I freaking fell out of it. <laughs>